Well, good morning. Welcome. It is good, um, as always. Oh, thanks, Bobby. Yeah, that'd be great. I'm struggling with a cough a little bit. Bobby knows that from the first service, and so she's giving me water. Thank you, Bobby. Uh, good to be together this morning, especially if you are new uh, with us this morning. A special welcome. We know it's, um, it can, it's not easy to go to a new church, uh, to walk into a new place that's unfamiliar, so we are glad that you have chosen to be here uh, this morning. And uh, My name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, as Laura mentioned, Tim, our campus pastor, and Jeff Boss and uh, Dennis Stewart are in China this week meeting with um, some Chinese pastors uh, that we are in partnership with for our global uh, mission strategy. And so uh, do pray for them this week. We are, uh, we're going to pray for them in a moment, um, too, as well as, as a church. Uh, but pray for them that they... Uh, that their time would be fruitful uh, over there and that their families would stay sane on this side uh, in their absence. Um, If you have a Bible or if you're not with us, we've been in in Matthew. And so uh, turn to Matthew chapter 25. That is our our text for this morning. We're going to be in verses 14 through 30. Thank you. Um, Before I say anything else, let me stop. Let's pause and pray. Um, I know I need need the help. Uh, We all need the help this morning as we open God's word together. So let's pray uh, before we start. Father, thank you uh, for this space to gather freely as your church. That is a freedom uh, that we ought not take lightly, especially in light of um, the fact that we're praying this morning for our brothers and sisters in China who gather under very different circumstances. God, we pray, we ask that you would protect them from evil, uh, that you would strengthen their, their faith, producing them a hope that comes from um, the testing and the perseverance that's necessary there. And God, we pray that Tim and Jeff and Dennis, at their time um, with Enoch and the other Christ- uh, Chinese pastors and congregations there would be fruitful for the inbreaking of your kingdom in China, um, here in Kansas City. God, thank you for this partnership. Um, and I-, I pray that it would bear fruit for the gospel here and around the world. And we pray, especially I pray that our team's presence there wouldn't draw harmful attention to the local church, um, to pastors, to members, that they would only serve to encourage and support the work that you're doing there. Thank you uh, for the encouragement that they are to us, Um, and I I pray that you would bless this partnership. And help us now to God as we open your word, um, where I say my own things, uh, I pray that those words would fall away and quickly be forgotten, but God, where I speak and step with your spirit where I say your words after you. God, I pray that you would uh, speak through me in a truly supernatural way to nourish our souls, to sharpen our minds, and to encourage our hearts. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, these days when I come home uh, from work, I'm greeted by a cute little toddler who is fast approaching her second birthday. There she is. That's Evie. Uh, I told the first service crowd. You're probably going to see a picture like every five or six sermons, so just get used to that. I, I work it in, whatever. Um, but she's, she's clo- getting close, closer to two, which is hard to believe, which means a lot of things. Of course, sometimes she's just a hot mess. <laughs> uh, she, her opinion is growing stronger and stronger every day, and she's getting better at voicing it. Uh, sometimes I'm greeted with a very cute, soft voice that is asking me for anything and everything, and I'll probably give it to her because she's learning that I am uh, wrapped very tightly around her little finger, but it, it almost always means um, something new. Right? I, I left for the day, and then I 
walk back in the door, and something new has happened, right? She is, she is changing so quickly right now. New words, um, new skills, uh, challenges, old challenges that are now habits, things that she just, she just does. And one of my, my favorite things as a dad um, is the, the look on her face when she has worked really hard at something, when she is trying and trying and trying, and she, she accomplishes her goal, and I say to her, great job, sweetie. Like, well done. Good work. I'm so proud of you. She, she lights up at that, right? And I never thought I would be so excited about uh, telling her to bring me a red ball. And then she brings me a red ball. And that's like, that made my day. I never thought I'd be so excited about that. But, it, but it's real. Right? I feel this real pride well up inside of me that, that just bursts forth in a great job, sweetie. You're doing it. I'm so proud of you. And that's what she is looking for. Right? She, she is hoping for, aching for even, uh, to hear her daddy say, good job. I'm so proud of you. Right? It, it shows up in that beaming smile, in her determination to keep trying harder and harder. And the thing is, uh, we never really grow out of that, do we? Every single one of us wants to hear at some level, good job, well done. I'm so proud of you, right? You're doing it. We ache for that in our work, in our, in our homes, from our parents, with our friends, even in our play. Right? We long to know that the, when we put ourselves out there, when we, risk, uh, when we risk it, when we're working hard, we, we long to know that it's good work, that somebody is looking down over us and saying, good job. And when we come to the end of our lives, so that's true in our work and in our relationships, but when we come to the end of things, which is what we're it's right where we are in, in Matthew, we're talking about the end of the end of things, the end times. Come to the end of our lives, we want to know that we we didn't waste the gifts or the abilities or the things that we've been given. We didn't waste our lives, frankly. We want to know that at the end of it, someone's gonna be standing there saying, good work, good job, I'm proud of you. Right, we want to know that we've done something good with what we've been allotted in life, even that we'll be rewarded for our efforts. Of course, that assumes uh, that someone is actually going to evaluate our lives. We've talked about that over the last several weeks. Right? There is judgment, there is something at the end. Uh, someone at the end that sits as a judge, uh, that's not a, popular, it's not a popular idea today, culturally, socially. Um, but that assumes that someone has the right to say anything about how we have lived. And really, we can only be meaningfully rewarded if that's true, right? And it's got to come from someone outside of us, someone we trust, someone who knows what we're talking about. We, the only way we can feel that sense of satisfaction is if someone who we trust and who knows us says, well done. It's true if you're a student with a teacher, an employee with a boss, a parent with a child like Evie. There are countless ways that this is true in our lives every day, and it's true if, if you're a creature with a creator, too, as Christians believe to be true. But if we dig a little deeper here, right, we all, have, we all kind of ache for this affirmation at the end of things, but there's a flip side to that. Right? There's maybe nothing more painful and damaging than when someone who knows you, someone you trust, someone you love, a boss or a parent or a teacher or a friend, who instead of praise when you do good work, they tear you down, right? Instead of seeking your good, it seems that they're just waiting for you to fall. And I think for many of us, when we come to God, we, we may think he's more like that. 
that he can't wait for us to, to fail, right? That if I say, go grab me a red ball, that all I really want for her to do is grab a blue ball so I can get upset with her or something, right? Many of us think that, that God is impossible to please, that he's overbearing, that he's judgmental. But friends, this morning, we're going to see nothing, is, nothing could be further from the truth. See that God really wants to say, great job, well done. No one wants you to succeed more than God wants you to succeed. <laughs> in part because all that he has entrusted to you is in fact his. <laughs> but like a, a loving father with his child, he wants, he longs to say, I am proud of you. Good work. Well done. And he's gone to great lengths to make that possible. Now, if you're new with us, like I said, we're in the middle of Matthew. We're not, uh, not reaching for this truth because it makes us feel good, this truth that God wants us to succeed. <laughs> um, instead, this is, we've just discovered this through a, a trek through Matthew's gospel. Who, Matthew, who walked and talked with Jesus, um, he gives us a window into Jesus' final life here uh, in the Olivet Discourse, this, this time when Jesus sits down with his disciples on the, on the Mount of Olives and he and he tells them what to expect in the time between, how to live in the time in between his first coming and when he returns. These are his final words of guidance before he goes to the cross. And it's here in Matthew 25 at verse 14, Jesus tells a story that will help us hear these words at the end of things, well done, good and faithful servant. So let's jump into our story. Matthew 25 verse 14 is where we start. He begins this story, this parable, um, saying, for it will be like, uh, and he's referring back to verse 1 at the beginning of chapter 25, where, where he says, the kingdom of heaven, uh, God's kingdom will be like this. And he says, when, when, when my kingdom is established, when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, it's going to look like a business owner, a business owner with property, um, with assets, who is going away on a trip, and in his absence, he calls together he calls together his workers to entrust to them uh, part of, parts of his property. Now, the master knows these servants. They're, they're probably, uh, we, when we hear servants, we think people that we can tell what to do. And that's partly true here in this word. But really, they're, they're probably closer to business partners. They, they have some real, very real responsibility in the absence of this, of this business owner when he's away for his trip. They're going to share in his responsibility and share, frankly, in some of the profits. And, and the master knows these servants. He's probably known them for a while. He's seen their different capacity, their abilities, the ways that they're wired, the things that they're good at. And so he divvies up the, the responsibilities. He divvies up his estate based upon each of their unique skill sets because he's a good businessman, after all. Um, you, don't, you don't ask people who are really, really bad at public speaking to pitch before pitch your business before a new client, right? You, that would be poor, a poor use of your resources. And, and so he's like that, right? He, he, it's common sense. He entrusts various amounts uh, of, of money and responsibility to these workers based on their ability. And, and the unit of measurement used here in this story is a talent. So a talent is a, is a measurement of money. Um, he gives one five talents, he gives a, another two talents, and he gives a third one talent. Now, a talent represents, I mean, commentators differ a little bit here, but it represents roughly 20 years day wages for a worker, which would be easily into the six figures. Some have said it's, it's over a million dollars for one talent. So I know when I used to read this, 
uh, I, you know, I think, man, this poor guy, like he just gets the one talent. That's kind of a bummer. He's fine. Like he's doing okay. He's entrusted with quite a bit of money here. So he gathers, again, so here's the picture. He gathers them all together for a meeting, says, here's five, here's two, here's one. I'm going away. Do my work. Do good business with my things, basically. He puts them over estates. He, he takes off. And the first two workers get right to it. The, the text says, at once, they, they get to work. They waste no time putting his capital to work. The first, use, the first servant uses his five talents, and he makes five more, uh, which is a pretty good return. The second, the second servant takes the two talents, and he makes two more. That's pretty good. Um, now, it's not like they just found a killer mutual fund and stashed it away in there. That's not, that's not the picture here. The word for trading, the language here of trading is more like business building. So they've gone out, they've taken the money, they've taken the talents, and they set up businesses, and they trade goods and services, and they use this capital to earn a profit. And like anything that will yield a good return, that, that, will, uh, get, uh, that will be a good rate of return, um, it, it's going to take some risk, right? They, and they're going to have to work hard at it. Uh, one, of my, one of our favorite TV shows is, is Shark Tank, um, right? These entrepreneurs, they take business ideas or businesses they've already got, uh, and, and they, they go before wealthy investors to um, pitch them, or I- them ideas in hopes of getting some support, right? And they're, it's, high, it's high risk, high reward business deals on both ends, right? Bo- both for the investor, and they're shelling out a lot of money, and for, for the entrepreneur, right? This is a lot of responsibility. They've got to use that money wisely, and they're going to have to, they're going to, have to answer to Mr. Wonderful at the end of it, right? That's the picture here, or at least it is for two of the workers. The third worker takes a little bit different approach. He doesn't put the money to work, but actually puts the money physically in the ground, <laughs> and he does nothing with it, which is... It is the least, uh, the least risky thing he could possibly do with the money. Less risk even than, than putting in a bank and just letting it you know, cut down on inflation or something. Or, and he probably thinks, well, like, that's a lot of money. Like, I can't lose that. You know, this, this ought to be good enough, right? Um, so the master returns from his trip. The text says after a long time. Uh, we don't know how long he's away, but um, you get the sense that he got a one-way ticket, right, wherever he was going. It's been a while, and he comes back unannounced. Uh, and it's time to see how his workers have done. And predictably, it is good news for the first two. Um, look at verse, t- verse 20 and on. It says, And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you, you gave me five. Here I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you gave me two. Here I made two more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So the two workers, the first two, they present their earnings uh, to the business owner. He is, he is very pleased. Uh, he gives him a glowing review, right? He says, Great work. Well done. I'm so pleased, in fact, that I'm going to give you I'm going to give you more. I'm going to give you more responsibility. And they are given new and greater responsibility, probably actually even they've, give, they've given more money uh, that corresponds with their abilities, with their capacity. I know it's a different story, again, for the third 
worker. He brings the master's money back to him with an explanation. He says, here, here I've got your money back. Look, I, listen, I've heard you're pretty tough. I've heard you're a hard man. Like, you're looking for a harvest where you haven't planted. Um, I, I've, I've heard these things to be true. And so, look, anyway, you, you can count all the money. It's all right there. Um, here it is. Thanks. I don't know. It probably wouldn't have said thanks. Uh, hope that's good enough, right? Which it's not, right? It's not. He, he's not just called unwise or foolish or even a coward, which is what he, which is the excuse he gave, right? I was afraid. I was afraid of you. He's not called any of those things, but in fact, he's called slothful and wicked. He says, if you knew I was a hard man, why didn't you work harder? Why did you, why did you literally do nothing? I love how Eugene Peterson puts it. I kind of love it. It's also really cutting. It says, if you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? Why did you do less than the least? Right? Because the, the owner, if he wanted to, he could have dug a hole in the ground and put his money there and left, uh, hopped on a plane and gone and come back and there his money would have been. Right? He could have done that himself. The least that, that the worker could have done is put it in the bank, right? But he doesn't do that. And the consequences for this third servant are terrible. He loses everything he's been given. It's all taken away from him uh, because he's proven to be a bad s- steward. And the master gives a talent to the one with, with the ten because he's proven to be faithful with it, which always seems super unfair. But look, we get that. In a business, in, in a business world, really any setting... If somebody squanders an opportunity, you don't want to give them more, right? You want to give it to someone who proves themselves to be faithful, and that's what happens here. And the judgment uh, is harsh. Not only does he lose everything he's been given, but he's removed from the, the master says, get away from me. He removes him from his presence, and he's condemned to outer darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, uh, which we know to be hell. But we'll get to that next week. Yay. Excited about that. Uh, Tim's still gone, by the way, so that's me. Uh, it's, a, it's a sobering way to end the story, especially if we let ourselves read, our, like, read ourselves into the story, which is kind of, we're supposed to do that with a parable. Now, I tend to read myself in as, as, the, five, as the five guy, right? Often, that's what we do. Um, because we desperately want to stand in his place. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, Here is more. You've been faithful with little. Enter into the joy of your master. We want to hear that. So how do we get there? How how do we get to the point? What does a a well-done life look like? What does a a life look like where we get to the end and, and God says, I'm proud of you. Good work. Here's more. And that's, look, that's a big question that the Bible has lots to say about when it comes to our faithfulness and the way we'll be evaluated at the end of things. But there's one big takeaway from this text that, that we really shouldn't miss. One, one kind of big idea that I really hope, if you, if you don't hear anything else, if you don't walk away with anything else, please take this with you. And that's this, faithfulness is impossible without fruitfulness. Faithfulness in, this, in the Christian life To be faithful, which we often talk about uh, as Christians, it is impossible to be called a faithful servant at the end of things if you're not bearing fruit in your life. If there's no fruit to show for it, right? J. 
James has a lot to say about that. Our, our faith will be evidenced by good works. Or to put it positively, the, the faithful life is a fruitful life. The faithful life is bearing fruit. The person who will hear well done in the end is bearing fruit here today, now. They're productive. Their faith is shown to be real by who they are, both in character. Right? We talk a lot about the fruit of the Spirit, and, that's in, and we'll get there in a little bit. Both in who they are and who they're becoming and what, what we do. The, stu- the stuff that we make, productivity. Which I'm, as an aside, I'm trying to reclaim that word from just the pure business world. It's not just a business term, productivity. It's not just doing your email better or having a good kind of calendar system. It's making, making stuff of the world. We'll flesh it out a little bit as we go. But the two servants are shining examples here uh, of fruitfulness. Now, it should be noted, though, they don't really do anything exceptional. Not really. They take what they are given, entrusted with as stewards. They work hard, and they multiply it. And the owner says, they're faithful in the little. You're faithful with little, so I'm going to give you more. Now, I thought about that this week. Uh, what are some of the things in my life that I just consider to be little? little? Um, here's, here's some of the examples. Doing the dishes came up. Uh, balancing the budget when I get to that. Um, changing diapers, which is, I should say, a couple diapers here and there. Send, I don't change near as many diapers as my better half. Sending emails, right? Buying groceries, which I did this last week for the first time in a while. Going to the gym, right? Some of you fell asleep for the last 10 seconds because that is very ordinary, right? These are very ordinary things that all of you have in your life. You're all doing these things, right? It may look a little different for you. It's not exciting, but there is plenty of little to go around in our lives. And those parts, friends, those, those things matter to God. He cares about them. It all adds up to well done, right? All of life is worth our faithful effort and will be, will be part of the accounting in the end. In the mundane details of a job that you don't love but pays the bills, uh, in another dirty diaper to change or um, another mess to clean up or another spreadsheet to do whatever you do with spreadsheets, uh, right, shuttling of kids here and there, right, it, it can be easy to wonder, am I, wa- am I wasting it? Am I wasting my life? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? But not, not, not if we are being faithful to cultivate the gifts that God has entrusted to us, even in these mundane work w- duties of work and home, the things that we, even if we don't love or enjoy them, right, if we're being faithful, we can, we can answer that question, no, I'm not wasting my life. But it's a good question to ask, right? Am I wasting my life? Because there's a very real obstacle to fruitfulness, to bearing fruit, that we see in the example of the third servant. And, and it should serve as a, as a sober warning for us. The obstacle uh, here between a well-done life and get out, go to the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Which I'm assuming we don't, none of you want that, right? We don't want that. This third servant serves as a warning. And he's a bad worker, right? That's clear from the story. But the business, the the owner points out, he's not a bad worker because he hasn't been given enough resources, right? If I just had a little bit more, I'd I'd do do a good job. Uh, It's not because he doesn't love his job. That's not mentioned anywhere at all. 
It's not even because he, you know, there's some fear that's holding him back, right? That's why he's not using the gifts. Well, in fact, we're told outright. That's not the reason that he's called a bad servant here. That's just an excuse. The real reason is in verse 26. He said, the master says this, you are wicked and you are slothful. His problem isn't with his resources. It's not with his job. It's not, not even fear that's holding him back, keeping him down. His problem is sloth, which is a word we don't use a lot. We don't talk about slothfulness very much. It's a, the unique thing about it, it's not a sin of, of commission where we're doing, you're kind of doing something actively destructive or evil. Um, it's a sin of omission. It's, it's, it's not doing something, right? It's passivity that's rooted in not giving a rip about whatever it is. Sloth is the absence of positive behavior. Uh, the times when you could have done something and you probably should have done something, but you just didn't care to. And so you didn't. That's sloth. What is our greatest obstacle to, to fruitfulness and to hearing, well done, good and faithful servant? What is it? It's sloth. There's no greater obstacle than doing nothing because you don't care. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. Sloth is, it's not just laziness. Um, you can be busy and be slothful. You can have a full calendar. You know, you're not just sitting on your couch, but you can still struggle with sloth. And it's, you can also be someone who rests really well, who takes breaks, who takes a vacation, who by some worldly standards, looks to be lazy. And you can be far from sloth because you're actually doing good work. Theologian uh, Oz Guinness, I think he says it best. He says, sloth is the modern melancholy that stems from a hatred of all things in all of life that require effort. <laughs> it's seen in the teacher who, who was given tenure years ago, and so they just stopped engaging their students. Or the auto mechanic who breaks a bolt in the middle of your engine and just says, nah, they won't know. It's the finance manager who cares only about their own bottom line. Right? They don't care about making money for their clients. Or, or the real estate agent who knows there are foundation problems, but man, they can't, they can't say anything about that. They'll lose the sale. Sloth is the pastor who sees conflict in the church in a toxic way and doesn't do anything about it. Right, that's too hard. God will take care of that. It's the unconcerned life. Sloth is all about what we should be willing to do, but we're unwilling to do it because we don't care. And it's destructive in many ways because it runs completely counter to our design as humans, as people, as, as those who we know from, from the creation account have, have been made in the image of God. We we reflect and represent God in the world. That's what it means in, in part to be image bearers of God in the created order. And God is productive. He is a, he's the most productive being, right? Says, says a word and, and things come to be. Right? It's part of who he is. And we are made in his image. And we're commanded, he says, what? Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. And that's, that's not just about making babies. It's about making something of the world. It's both procreativity and productivity. God gives the raw material of the world to the first humans, and he says, go, make something of it. Add value. And this pro should profoundly shape the way we see our work. It's not a curse. 
part of God's good design. Fruitfulness is a, is a fulfillment of one of our primary purposes in the world, which is to, to be good workers. We can't be faithful without being fruitful. That is clear in the owner's review of his workers. Their productivity is what makes them faithful. And God has entrusted so much to each, each one of us. Remember, the money, I mean, it, it is a symbol for money here. It's not less than that, but it's certainly more than that. The money symbolizes all that we've been entrusted with, our bodies, our minds, our abilities, our education, our influence, our privilege, our, our time, goodness, our time. Right? God cares about all these things, and they are all his, after all. All the good things that we have in our life, they're gifts entrusted to us by God. So don't be like the slothful worker who buries the gifts in the ground. Cultivate the gifts you've been given by doing good work. Now, for many of us, myself included, this is a big thing that I struggle with. We, we spend more time focusing on, on what he hasn't given us uh, than what he has given us, right? We, spend, we do this comparison. We try to plot ourselves on like, okay, five, there's, there's one talent, there's five. Count, where am I on that scale? Right? We miss what we, what we have actually been given. And so trust that God knows you, friend, like this worker who knows, like the owner who knows his servants. God has wired you in a certain way to contribute uniquely with the gifts that, that he's entrusted to you so that he one day might say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. To the one who, who made five out of five and the one who made two out of two, right? he will say to us based on the ways that he's gifted and wired us, well done. Faithfulness is impossible without fruitfulness. Now, one question uh, that came up in our teaching team that I want to pose to you that was, that's just been helpful for me this week. Uh, when I think about all of life, relationships, kind of the stuff that I've been entrusted with, uh, my job, um, wh- what do you think Jesus would say if he gave you a review? Not your boss, not your parents, your teacher, your friends. What do you think Jesus would say if he gave you a review at the end of things? And remember, no one wants you to succeed more than Jesus. Uh, no one wants to circle... Uh, I mean, he wants to circle tens on, all your, on your review, all tens. He wants to fill the page with affirmation. Um, he's entrusted you with much. It's, it's all his, right? And we have no reason to be afraid of him unless, unless you don't want to do anything, <laughs> uh, unless you couldn't care less. So, listen, care, we should care about this. What do you think Jesus would say if he gave you a review? That's one question to kind of just ponder that throughout the week. But another practical step as we... Uh, for this week, something I'm going to do, I haven't done it yet, but I'm um, looking forward to doing it this week. Take 15 to 20 minutes and just make a list of all the things that God has entrusted to your care. Um, or do your best, right, at that. All the gifts that you can manage as a steward. Think of all the relationships that you've been given in your life, whether it's uh, your parents, uh, maybe it's children, your spouse your, in your marriage, your friends, your coworkers. How can you be cultivating those relationships in a fruitful way? Here's what I mean, to get more specific. Who do you need to forgive as a question? I mean, that's fruit-bearing, right? Forgiveness. <laughs> who do you need to forgive? Who can you encourage? Who, who can you write a, just a super random note to this week and encourage as a way to cultivate that relationship, to be fruitful there? Where have you been avoiding conflict? Uh, not going to deal with that. 
Is there anyone you've been neglecting? A relationship that you've neglected that God has entrusted to you? Think of the resources you've been given, right? Uh, we often talk about kind of time, talent, treasure. Your time, your money, uh, your all the different resources, your skills, your home, your influence, your privilege, right? The ways that you have influence in society that others don't have influence in society. How are you leveraging these resources for the good of others? Are you bearing fruit with your home? Are you bearing fruit with your money? What, what do you need to give away? What do you need to invest? Right, how can you bless others with the gifts, with like the actual resources, the stuff, your possessions? How can you bless others with those things? Think of the work you've been given to do, whether you're paid for it or not. Right? Work is first, first about contribution, way before it's about compensation. So none of us are off the work hook, okay? Um, and all of our work matters. It really does. Whether you're, you're employed or you're an employer or you're unemployed or you're underemployed or you're a student or you're a retiree, right? How do you, how do I need to become a better steward of my work? Where are you tempted toward sloth and carelessness? Man, that, is, that, has been a, that has been a killer question for me this week. In my work, where am I tempted to just not care and, and therefore not do what I need to do? Where do I need some focused improvement? What are you really, really good at that can serve other people? That's, a, that's an important question to ask. What, what are you gifted with that you can serve other people in your work? Because here's what I know to be true. This, this room is filled with talents. And I mean that not just in like the abilities, talents way, but I mean like, uh, not like we just have a really good talent show up here. That's what I mean. Uh, this room is filled with resources, things that God has entrusted to us. And that compiled list would be long and impressive and it would all belong to God. That's, that's right at the heart of it, right? We've all been entrusted with things that, that are God's and, and we're going to give an account for it. And he wants to give us so much more, friends, like the fruitful workers in the story. He can't wait to meet your faithful efforts with a hearty, well done, good job. I'm proud of you. This is true for this life and the life to come, right? As we grow in faithfulness in the ordinary, the little things, as we become more fruitful in all things, we'll be given more work and greater responsibility. And not like, you know, congratulations, now you, now you get to go to work on Saturday. Not, not like that. Right? God knows what we need way better than, than we do. And his rewards, both now and, and to come, I can imagine, well, I can only imagine are better than, than anything I've ever dreamed up. And like the faithful workers in this story, the, the greatest reward is the master's delight in our work. Because when it's all said and done, God wants to say over you and your life when he returns, well done. And maybe, maybe you don't think that's true. Maybe you're not convinced. Maybe he still seems more like an overbearing boss than a loving father. Maybe you're struggling to believe that well done is even possible, that that review could even come at the end of things. And if that's you this morning, then just be encouraged by this good news that ultimately, at the end of, at the, end of the day, we are not actually servants but called sons and daughters of this God. In Christ, I mean, we, 
He is our brother. That is one of the wonderful truths of Scripture. And in him, uh, you've already passed every test. You've received the highest promotion. You are fully loved and fully accepted, even as we mismanage our lives, as we squander these gifts that he's entrusted to us, as we consume the whole fortune, (laughs) Jesus still died in our place. And you and I, I mean, we do that. We are failures. But but if you belong to God, then you you have a loving father who is ready and eager to say to you, well done. Right? He looks at you and he sees Jesus, the, the ultimate faithful servant, the one who did everything his father asked him to do perfectly. It's a beautiful truth that we can be in Christ and, and God the Father sees Jesus, sees us, Jesus, when he looks at us and he delights in you. So let's, let's get to work, right? You, use these gifts that God has entrusted with us for the good of others. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can address you as such, as a loving father who delights in saying, well done, good work. I'm so proud of you. And thank you that, that in Christ we can all hear those words and be freed from the oppression of trying to earn our standing before you. That's all been earned already in, in the faithful servant of Jesus. But help us, we pray, to be good stewards of the gifts we've been entrusted with. Produce fruit in us and through us as we await your coming. Guard us from sloth that we might do good work for the glory of your name and the good of all people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one way we, uh, we routinely respond, every week we respond to the good news of God's word uh, that we read is, is the communion table. Um, where, where we line up and say, look, we've all, we all deserve the fate of the third servant. Uh, we all deserve to be cast away into outer darkness. And yet in Christ, he is the one who took all of that judgment on himself. And so we can come and stand as those able to utilize these gifts and be fruitful and faithful in, in him and the power of his spirit. And so that's what we say when we line up. Uh, we raise our hands basically and say, I, I, uh, I need a savior. And we take the bread, we dip it in the cup, um, and we partake together in groups of four to six. If you, you don't have to be a member of this church uh, to partake in communion. So we invite all those who, uh, who follow Christ to partake. Um, so there's, there are tables here and in the back. That one has gluten-free bread if you need it. But um, as you are ready to come to the table, uh, I invite you to please come.